pushed onto the bed, and Brett got on top of me. He began running his hands over my body and grinding into me. I believed he was going to rape me. Dr. Ford, with what degree of certainty do you believe Brett Kavanaugh assaulted you? 100%. I'm not questioning that Dr. Ford may have been sexually assaulted by some person in some place at some time. But I have never done this to her or to anyone. That's not who I am. It is not who I was. I am innocent of this charge. This confirmation process has become a national disgrace. Welcome to Pro Se, Law 360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney. The whole world's talking about the confrontational hearing on sexual assault allegations leveled against Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. And so are we for the entire show. We're going to be joined by our D.C. reporter, Michael McInerney, who was in the room for the hearings to break it all down for us. But first, I'm here with my co-hosts, Bill Donahue. Hello, hello. And Alex Lawson. Hey. Guys, I know we need to talk about Brett Kavanaugh, but... yeah. Instead, I'd really like to spend the whole show talking about the season premiere of The the Good Place because (laughs) it's a show that I watched it last night. It was a great palate cleanser Uh for the day's news events. Uh Um, And it's a show about how being with other people can make you a better version of yourself. It just seems like a better thing to talk about today. What a we, great fictional show. We are in the, ba- <laughs> we are in the bad place. Uh, yeah, it would, it, it would feels seem, that way. Yeah. Uh, so big day, um, obviously. I remember, big week. Yeah, I mean, I remember a couple weeks ago when just on the first round of Kavanaugh hearings we were talking about sure. the show, I was like, oh, the whole show should probably be Kavanaugh. And I was like, all right, well, at least we're, we, we can move past that. Yeah. Here we are again. Uh, it's all Kavanaugh. As, as It would be uh, nice to get to a week where we can do some other stories. There's a lot, a lot of stuff happened this week. Facebook breach today, the Elon Musk stuff Elon yesterday. Musk, I, big yeah. ruling in my world on the Led Zeppelin thing. Like It's, and, it's a big news week. And so. yet we can tell you none about any of that for <laughs> yeah. the reason that, I mean, I know everyone else is also talking about Kavanaugh, uh-huh. but that's because it's just so important. I mean, for the legal world and for the country in general, yeah. it's yeah. such a big appointment to such mm-hmm. a prestigious body in our nation. We just have to discuss it. It's true. Um, and you guys, I mean, you you, you talked about it ably in my absence um, last week where um, the allegations by Dr. Christina Blasey Ford were the only set of allegations uh, on yeah. record against Brett Kavanaugh that he had assaulted her at a gathering party when they were in high school. Um now, it was already pretty intense and pretty wild gearing up for a hearing. We didn't know if a hearing was going to happen or not. Yeah, we actually talked about it last week when the, the episode you weren't here Right. Yeah. Um, and then we entered the weekend with that kind of hanging in the air. Um, and then uh, it proceeded to get crazier. Um, on Sunday, uh, The New Yorker published a long story that was premised upon a new allegation from a woman named Deborah Ramirez. And she, in that story, on the record... Um, uh, alleged that uh, Kavanaugh, during a time when he was a freshman at Yale, they were in a dormitory together and Kavanaugh was drunk and dancing around in front of her, pulled his pants down and stuck his penis in her face and uh, caused her to touch it. Um, and so that obviously um, was a was a game changer for, yeah. for, for the general tenor of this entire thing because it you know before i mean any kind of mounting allegations whether it's corroborated or uncorroborated is gonna you know create a stir and it's when the the stakes are this high and that wasn't the only one that came out no so that was that was like i say sunday um and kavanaugh i think issued a a a flat 
and sort of categorical denial of that, both after the story published and again at the hearing, which we'll talk a little bit about. Then um, on Wednesday, which is the day before the hearing, so mm-hmm. right as everyone's kind of gearing up and thinks we have all our ducks in a row in terms uh-huh. of what's going to be under the umbrella of discussion, um, enter Michael Avenatti, who we've talked about on the show before, uh, the lawyer for Stormy Daniels uh, in her sort of quest against Trump and Michael Cohen um, for in the case that we've talked about a lot. Avenatti uh, filed a sworn affidavit declaration on behalf of a woman named Julie Swetnick, um, who, who has been a government employee with the Treasury and the IRS and within the D.C. local government. Um, and the the affidavit that, that Avenatti filed on Ms. Swetnick's behalf is contains the most explosive allegations yet against Kavanaugh. Um, she is another woman who uh, attended a nearby uh, high school uh, near where Kavanaugh attended high school in, in suburban Maryland and basically said that she had attended parties that uh, Kavanaugh and his friend Mark Judge, who uh, is a key figure in the Blasey Ford allegations, uh, she had attended parties with those guys and saw them um, attempting to spike the punch uh, with alcohol to lower the inhibitions of female party guests. And then uh, far more severely, she claims to have witnessed them sort of lining up outside a room yeah. to have sex with uh, a female party goer who was passed out. Uh, she then went on to say that she herself, uh, Julie Swetnick, was uh, raped uh, by several individuals at one of these parties, didn't sort of stop just short of squarely accusing Kavanaugh of raping her, saying she was raped at a party and Kavanaugh and Judge attended that party. Um, and this, again, coming out on the eve of like what was already going to be right. a really explosive and really dramatic hearing was was quite the news to, to digest. It was. And I mean, um, Kavanaugh, again, denied yeah. this flatly as he well. He said he didn't even know her. He said it's like something out of the Twilight Zone, reiterated that again at the hearing. Um, but and, that, that and, really set the stage. And then Kavanaugh and others in the GOP... Um, made a lot of hay out of the timing of these allegations. Yeah, yeah and we're going to talk about that with Mike, too. I mean, that, that that's what so much of the 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 truth or fiction of the allegations kind of, uh, like, tended to take a backseat to the strategic nature of it. Sure. But uh, at the time that it came out, you know, b- b- before the hearing, you know, took place, it was it was it was quite a quite a storm. So like you said, at the beginning, that storm was sort of, you know, it was raging as we were still moving toward this thing that had been. You know, this, this right. hearing that had been set that seemed like the focal point of the week until you started seeing these other allegations. But um, still, the big the big looming target for the week was was Thursday. Um, when we spoke about this last week, we didn't know if this hearing was going to happen or when it was going to happen or what. Um, Republicans had initially set it for Monday, um, saying that there was a deadline for that. Over the weekend, they negotiated with um, Blasey Ford's attorneys and set this date for Thursday. Right. So, um uh, you know, the big news in the interim, sort of, there was a little quiet before the storm, I feel like, yeah. but um, in at least hard, on the- Hard hard to remember that, but I think you're right. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, but the biggest news, I guess, was that, that the Republicans were not going to be questioning Blasey Ford themselves, that they had hired this outside right. female prosecutor um, that immediately raised sort of the hackles that, that a bunch of old white men didn't want to be the ones- Asking these questions. All of the Republicans say. on the Judiciary Committee are men, by the way. And yes. we'll yes. dig in a little bit more into into that attorney we uh, as we continue to talk. But let's keep rolling through what led up to that hearing. So Thursday rolled around and, um, you know, it's there's not a whole lot of stuff these days where you feel like everybody is on the same page. There's a like sort of a fragmented quality to 
I mean, in our politics, but in in sort of in in media, in yeah, entertainment, sure. and everything else. Um, this felt like a moment where everybody was on the same page. I mean, there uh, were tons of pictures online of people um, watching it on their phone on like the F train, yeah, and like yeah. it, just anywhere people were, they were trying to find a way to follow along with what was right. going on. Right. The uh, the the sports writer Will Leach was on a plane, and people were watching it like on like like in the TVs. They're on the yeah, back, like, like all like, the on, TVs in the were tuned in, the, in in the headrest. It was you know. yeah. It sort of felt like you were watching. It's sort of, it, you know it's rare that you have these moments where you can tell that history's happening at the sure. time, like as it's happening, and this definitely felt like That's one. True. So um, we will get into the details of Thursday's hearing um, in more detail with with Mike when he comes on the show in a little bit. But um, you know, Blasey Ford gave gave uh, a very very wrenching testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, Kavanaugh came out in response swinging. Um, yeah, it couldn't have been. Um a more stark dichotomy exactly. between the two testimonies. Exactly. And I mean, and in substantive too, the fact that both of them at different times said there's a 0% chance, there's a 100% chance. Right. Yeah. There was no um, equivocation on no. either side. And after Kavanaugh was up there, you saw the Republicans sort of mimicking his anger. And, and um, so anyway, we'll get to that with Mike. Um, but, uh, but you know, that was, that was what, what sort of got us to today when we we're recording here on Friday. Yeah. Well, one thing I wanted us to talk about that, isn't as splashy as what we'll get into about the actual hearing, but I think it's interesting for our listeners who follow along with the lawyers at play and big events. Yeah, without mm-hmm. a doubt. Um, we did a little reporting here to sort of break down the standout attorneys that you probably saw sitting behind Blasey Ford or alongside sure. Kavanaugh. Yeah. So I just wanted to run down some of the big ones. The first one is the one you already mentioned, Bill. It's uh, Arizona prosecutor Rachel Mitchell. Mm-hmm. She's the one that Senate Republicans decided to have come in to take their time during the hearing and do questioning from the GOP side. Yeah. And it's pretty much for what you already said. It just seemed like a bad plan to have all men questioning a woman about her allegations of sexual assault. Right. And what's like the book on her? I know she was a sex crimes prosecutor. Yeah. So she's from Maricopa County. That's in Arizona. She's on leave from her past post as the deputy county attorney and the chief of their special victims division. Mm-hmm. So she has experience that's relevant to exactly what we were talking about at the hearing. Yeah. She has tons of experience with sex-related felonies. She spent 12 years running a bureau that's in that special victims division. Mm-hmm. So I think her, her bona fides are pretty clear on why she was there. Yeah, and she had some she had some interesting back and forth um, with when she was questioning Dr. Ford with Ford's own attorneys because they, they, they there was a lot of sort of questions about what evidence was at what time and all this and it it, sure. it, it got pretty lawyerly there at a couple of times. So tell us about Ford's attorneys. Yeah, Ford um, had three attorneys on deck: uh, Deborah Katz and Lisa Banks. They're both from Katz, Marshall, and Banks. Right. And they also have some experience that's spot on for this situation. Mm -hmm. They have acted as counsel to women who've made sexual harassment allegations against um, the former NPR executive Michael Oreskes. Uh And um, they have a lot of experience with employment-related discrimination and harassment cases. So that fits squarely into the kind of counsel that Blasey Ford would want. And then there was a third guy, right? There was. His name's Michael Bromowich. He's the founder of this strategic consulting firm, and he has a a long pedigree at various law firms. He's also a former federal prosecutor, and uh, he was an inspector general at the DOJ. Mm -hmm. So he's got a long background there, too. He's also the guy who represents fired FBI director Andrew McCabe. So he's used to high-profile clients. Yeah. And what about for Kavanaugh? 
Kavanaugh's attorneys have been a little um, less in the news compared to some of these others that we've seen, like actively counseling Blasey Ford. Yeah, well, he's he's a he's a you know DC appeals judge. He can speak for himself on many issues. But but he has had counsel, and both of them are women. Okay. So it's Beth Wilkinson of Wilkinson, Walsh, and Escaviz. It's a uh, DC-based litigation boutique, and she has a bunch of high-profile clients. It's people like Pfizer, Major League Baseball, Microsoft, big companies. Mm -hmm. She used to be uh, an assistant U.S. attorney in the Eastern District of New York. Uh And she is actually, um, this is an interesting tidbit, she argued successfully to get the death penalty for Timothy McVeigh, who was the Oklahoma City bomber. So so you can see how they've collected attorneys that are not scared of high-profile No, yeah, definitely not. And then the second one is um, Alexandra Walsh. She's also of Wilkinson Walsh, and she once clerked for Merrick Garland. Huh. <laughs> okay. and, and then for Guys. Stephen Breyer. <laughs> it's for funny Breyer. how with these stories that just like they're. Uh, I'm glad. Like I'm glad we did this things, part of it. Connections like that, because like you say, the 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 big law atmosphere is 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 can be an insular one. <laughs> I think that yeah. illustrates it a little bit. I'm sure these people are fine professionals. But. Sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, but there's more news even as we record today. We're recording yeah. on Friday, which is a change of pace because the hearing was on Thursday. Uh, tell we us waited. about what happened on Capitol Hill there. Yeah, Bill. we waited yeah. as long as we could so that we could follow this <laughs> fast-moving story. But finally, on Friday afternoon, had to sit down to record the show. Yeah, a little so bit of clarity. So when, when, when Blasey Ford finished up, it was obviously a very affecting uh, uh, you know, few hours of testimony. And um, it seemed like a lot of the momentum was, okay, let's slow this down. Let's investigate. Let's, yeah. you know. Um, Kavanaugh came out and, as we'll talk about with Mike, was was really, really aggressively defending himself. And, um, you know, you, depending on who you ask in, in our world right now, I think different people would read it in different ways. But it seemed to give Republicans, at least the Republicans on the Judiciary Committee, a, a feeling of momentum that that like now we're we're giving we've given ourselves this sort of full throated defense uh, and feel more emboldened to move forward with the vote. So by the end of the day yesterday, it became pretty clear that the vote was going to happen on Friday. Yeah. Um. Uh. On t- this morning. Yeah. Um. So there was a there was going to be a first a meeting and then a vote this afternoon. Um. And and the news came out early this morning that Jeff Flake, uh, the Republican from Arizona, big Trump critic, yeah. and he's retiring, and yeah. someone that a lot of people thought was really the only potential Republican who might flip yeah. and uh, and vote against advancing Kavanaugh to the full Senate, he came out and said he was going to that that the question here was a question of due process and a question of whether they had proved beyond a reasonable doubt and treating it like a criminal proceeding, and that under that standard, the Democrats had not proved that proved anything against Kavanaugh and there wasn't enough to, to stop him. And for much of the day, that's what we thought was going to happen. That right. it was sort of, it, it felt a bit settled. So shortly after Flake's, um, yeah, right. Like the New York Times ran a headline that said like, like Kavanaugh will be advanced. Right. Yeah. Um, because once Flake was gone, that was pretty much it. Um, shortly after he put out that statement, he was cornered in an elevator and it was two women um both of whom were sexual assault victims who uh, cornered him and, and really demanded answers from him as to why he wasn't listening to a story from someone who was in a similar position to them. What are you doing, sir? I was this sexually assaulted and nobody believed me. I didn't tell anyone and you're telling all women that they don't matter, that they should just stay quiet because 
if they tell you what happened to them, you're going to ignore them. That's what happened to me, and that's what you're telling all women in America, that they don't matter. They should just keep it to themselves, because if they have told the truth, you're just going to help that man to power anyway. That's what you're telling all of these women. That's what you're telling me right now. Look at me when I'm talking to you. You're telling me that my assault doesn't matter, that what happened to me doesn't matter, and that you're going to let people who do these things into power. That's what you're telling me when you vote for him. Don't look away from me. Look at me and tell me that it doesn't matter what happened to me, that you'll let people like that go into the highest court of the land and tell everyone what they can do to their bodies. The audio is compelling as hell, obviously, but I mean, if, if you haven't seen the clip, I mean, that woman is telling Jeff Flake how she feels about this issue, and he is, um, it, it, like, sort of wrapped at attention uh, in, like, the corner of an elevator in the basement yeah. of the Capitol. It's, it's, like, it's stirring. It really is. It's a very emotional. matter of your politics. It, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's, it's a captivating image. Yeah. And it was stirring for Flake, it seems, as well. It would seem that way. So as we got near to the vote, um, you know, the vote was supposed to be at one thirty, and... Uh, Flake was not in the room and tweets were flying around and all sorts of, uh, you know, what's happening because people were saying that Flake was meeting with Democrats and and no one quite knew if the vote was going to go forward. It moved past 130. Um, what ultimately came out was Flake would approve, would vote with the Republicans to advance Kavanaugh, but only under the condition that uh, Kavanaugh will be sent to the to the full Senate floor. But a vote won't be taken until uh, uh, at least some level of FBI investigation. One week. One Um, one week, he said. A minimum of one week. Right. And the demand for an FBI investigation was a real drumbeat from the Democratic side. From the Democrats, right. So this is aligning at least with that aspect of what they wanted. So, yeah. And, um, you know, a few minutes before we came in here, news broke that, that another Republican, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, another person who's frequently in these situations where not a huge Trump woman um moderate you know, republican right um often seen as sort of a more centrist republican um that she had seconded the man the demand made by flake um and that obviously for those of you who aren't keeping parliamentary score at home um <laughs> yeah. there are 51 republicans every democrat in the senate is going to vote against kavanaugh so if flake and if flake flips uh Mike Pence, the vice president, would break the tie. But if Flake and Murkowski are both saying, no, we need an FBI investigation, they can't move forward with the vote. Also worth noting for the parliamentary nerds out there, uh, in the committee, Flake said, I will allow the the nomination to proceed out of committee with a commitment to conduct uh, to hold to hold the process for at least a week to allow the FBI to investigate. As Chuck Grassley, the chairman, noted, and others uh, on the committee said, um, it is entirely the job of Mitch McConnell to decide whether or not the vote is held. Right, and Mitch McConnell didn't agree to anything. It was not right. yet. So, like right. that is a that is a, a a a request that Jeff Flake and Lisa Murkowski have now made. If McConnell chooses to just say, I don't want to do an investigation, or I don't want to even ask the FBI for an investigation, he can have the vote on Monday uh, if but he wants. Presumably, but presumably, that, that would have right? Murkowski he, and, and Flake voting against that him. Is, that is the implication of the arrangement that they struck today in uh, in the hearing. So that's where we are at right now. Um, it's obviously a fast-moving story, and it may be completely different by the next time you hear from us. But, um, you know, the, the, the where where we are right now is that 
it's going to go to the full Senate, but there's going to be a one-week pause and um, potentially an FBI investigation. Who knows? We saw some equivocating from Trump this afternoon saying, you know, that that uh, that it's 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 up to the Senate to do what they need to do. Yeah, he and was like – he was, It was weird. It was after he – because he, he was, was so full-throated passive. yesterday yeah. mm-hmm. in support of Kavanaugh and – Today he said that he hadn't ruled out withdrawing him, and and a little more uh, deferential. Yeah, yeah exactly. It it's like it's up to Grassley and those guys. So, um, guys, uh, but it's yeah, right. But uh, so that's where we are, and we will see what happens next week. our discussion about Brett Kavanaugh. We're joined by DC reporter Michael McInerney, who is covering the hearing for Law360. Welcome back to the show, Mike. Hi, glad to be here. So before we really dig into sort of the particulars of the arguments on both sides during the hearing, some of this was just the the spectacle, and Bill referred to it earlier in the show as sort of watching history unfolding before our very eyes. So can you tell us about what it was like just in that room? Yeah, so I've been to a number of congressional hearings, and this one was different. Most of them are mostly uneventful. They're boring, they're drudgery uh, sometimes, but this one was raw and emotional and dramatic constantly, um, to the point that, you know, when Dr. Ford had her opening statement, uh, there was no one else speaking in that room, which is really unusual in yeah. Congress. Most yeah, yeah, there's the like time, bustling around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the the same goes for Judge Kavanaugh's opening statement that was on the other side of the emotional spectrum. Um, it was uh, almost surreal and there to were, be in the room for that. There were a lot of moments where we were all following along and people were following on Twitter. You know, we saw when... When the prosecutor, Rachel Mitchell, started asking questions and people were talking about about how she was doing and the, sort of the optics of it. I mean, what was the what was the temperature in the room when that was happening? Yeah. So the, the questions from Rachel Mitchell, who's the, the professional sex crimes prosecutor from Arizona, kind of uh, caught everybody off guard because they were very straightforward, factual questions about her story, about how her story came to be in the public sphere and things like that, which there's not, it's not very often that there are straightforward factual questions in the Senate or in Congress in general. And um, that, that was uh, abandoned actually during Judge Kavanaugh's right. questioning, which, you know, changed the, the tone of the hearing even further. Yeah, it was during the Ford half, it was really strange to watch because it was basically two different proceedings going on at once because the Democrats were obviously more sympathetic and they were asking her open-ended questions. And they were asking their own questions. Yeah, they were, first of all, they were asking their own questions. Yeah, they were asking her open-ended questions about what she thought about what happened to her and why she thought it was important to speak out. And then like, Every five minutes, you would get like direct cross examination yeah. from Mitchell. You know, it was the structure of it was a little weird in that way because it felt very clear that Mitchell really is a prosecutor, and she's yeah. used to building yeah. a very methodical case when someone's on the stand, and and that being interrupted every five minutes felt jarring. But Mike, you mentioned that that uh, you know once once the Republicans stopped using Mitchell to ask their questions during the Kavanaugh part, we saw some of that. And maybe a little bit more of that, 
you know, grandstanding that, that we sometimes associate with c- congressional hearings. Could you talk a little bit, I mean, maybe about, about Graham's moment uh, when, you know, at one point it seemed like he was just screaming? Uh, he, he, he was. Um, that was definitely a turning point in the hearing. That was the point at which Republicans stopped using uh, Mitchell to ask their questions. Um, Graham kind of blew up at his Democratic counterpart, saying that, you know, he thought that they had used uh, Dr. Ford's allegations and the other allegations for political ends. And he um, said that he thought that Dr. Ford's allegations had been deliberately leaked and that they had used um, all of these allegations to try to destroy Judge Kavanaugh. Um, And he's also called some of the additional allegations that have been brought against him, not Dr. Ford's allegation, um, a, a bunch of garbage, actually. Yeah. That was a big theme you saw from the conservative side of the panel, where it was like they, there were many people who were questioning her story or the facts of the story she was telling. It seemed like they were generally understanding that she probably is telling the truth or believes she's telling the truth or some version thereof. But it quickly became, like you say, Mike, um, a, an inquiry into the manner in which the allegations were deployed and right. to what end. And so we can look at the other side now. The Democrats pressed him, pressed the judge on a lot of different things. They talked about, um, you know, his drinking habits, both in high school and in college and throughout his life. And then talk of to what extent this should be investigated by a body other than the Senate Judiciary Committee. What was the general vibe from that end from the uh, from the minority senators? Yeah, so the the back and forth between the senators and Judge Kavanaugh, and it, it was definitely a, a back and forth. There was a lot of interruptions. There was a lot of uh, crosstalk and, um, you know, trying six different ways to get him to answer a question, um, things like that. And I, I've, I've, you know, I haven't been doing this as long as some other reporters, but I've never seen a judicial nominee uh, challenge the senators uh, as much as Judge Kavanaugh did, uh, even to the point that he actually apologized to Senator Klobuchar for turning the question back against her when she asked about whether he had ever uh, gotten blackout drunk. Yeah, that was a really um, and, jarring and, moment to watch because yeah, I we, mean we, I, we were talking about it before we recorded. Yeah, yeah, and I I used to cover hearings on the Hill a lot too when I was a reporter in D.C. and I've never seen a witness turn something around in that yeah. way. It, it can, was it, yeah. it came off as very aggressive. Well, and Mike, you know, as we're sitting here talking about the way that these things came off, was there a sense among you and, and the rest of the, the the reporters in the room of, of you know, the optics of, of what you were watching from both sides that obviously Kavanaugh came out strong and swinging and aggressive and, and uh, Dr. Ford was, was obviously told this gripping story, but was there a sense of, of you know, how, you know, how those, those, their testimony would be perceived by by the folks watching from home um the 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 way that i've heard this described is is sort of uh a rorschach test of how you felt going into the hearing (laughs) um because you know donald trump jr and a whole lot of conservatives uh really praised his performance and said that he was justifiably angry by what they felt are uh you know, false or baseless allegations. And, um, you know, people on the other side felt that he was overly aggressive, that he was indignant, um, and that they believed uh, Dr. Ford, and they believed that she came forward genuinely and honestly. And it, it really has played out 
since then in, you know, the actions today by the Senate Judiciary Committee. Well, why don't we get into that a bit, Mike, because I I think as much as it's interesting how the outside and general public perceive this, a lot of this hearing was really courting the votes of a few key possible swing people in that Judiciary Committee, and we saw that play out today. So can you get sort of give us a little catch up about what happened, particularly with Jeff Flake today? Yeah, so today was, after the public spectacle of yesterday, a, a very private, behind-the-scenes drama. Yeah. Uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee was scheduled to have a vote today on Judge Kavanaugh, and that was scheduled for 1.30. And at about 11.30 noon, that started to fall apart when, when Jeff Flake asked to talk to Chris Coons in the, the committee's back room. And over the course of the next hour and a half, Every single member of the committee would at some point go back into that back room to talk. Um, And eventually they came out and said that uh, Flake said that he would vote for Judge Kavanaugh as long as there is an agreement to have the FBI do a supplemental investigation to last no more than one week. Um, And because this is 2018 in Washington, D.C., this change before this airs. But as of right now... um, (laughs) Republican leadership has agreed to hold off on that vote until there's an investigation. I haven't gotten confirmation from the White House yet, but it looks like we're heading towards that sort of delay that, you know, there might be a a vote on Judge Kavanaugh as early as sometime late next week. Mike, we'll all be watching that vote and we'll have to have you back on the show again. It seems like you're our official regular guest at this point. (laughs) Well, I'll see you next week or in Washington time, 30 news cycles from now. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. Thanks for being on the show, Mike. Thank you. done with the show, but I think there's one last thing you wanted to talk about about these hearings, right, Alex? Uh, yes. So like many political events in 2018, this, in a, I mean, it was a serious thing, but it, it, it gave way to some theater of the absurd a little bit. Never tweet. It, yeah, that's, that, that, that will be the lesson here and always. Um, but uh, near, the, uh, near the beginning of the hearing, uh, Dr. Ford told the committee because uh, Chuck Grassley, the chairman, had said, let us know if you need anything. We're at your beck and call, whatever, whatever to make you comfortable. And she tried to sort of inject a little levity and say, you know, I, 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 I think I'll need some caffeine after my opening statement. And it got a little laugh. And eventually she actually was presented or served with a, a, a bottle of Coca-Cola. She took a sip of it. and It was captured on camera, obviously, because she was on TV. Uh, enter... ESPN uh, brand droid, uh, Darren Ravel. Uh, I'm glad you gave it the ESPN moniker because I immediately was going to be like, who is that? Darren Ravel is a sports business reporter at ESPN who, I mean, if anybody has spent time on sports Twitter, you know Darren is like sort of like robotically attuned to brands and business and like gotcha. all the implications thereof, even at very human moments like and this gets, one. And um, gets, gets treated like a punching bag sometimes well, you, on the, I mean, on the I mean, web. I mean, you're in the brand space. You know you know sure. how Ravel does this sure. stuff. Anyway, so Ravel tweeted a picture of Dr. Ford drinking the Coke at the hearing and wrote, uh, wrote the following tweet. $3.14 million. 
value that Coca-Cola garnered from Christine Blasey Ford's testimony while drinking Coke on TV broadcasts today. CNN, Fox Business, Fox News, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox, according to Apex MG Analytics. Now, appropriately... (laughs) He was dragged for this. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it seems a little out of step with the tone of the day. That's baseline for him. He gets dragged all the time (laughs) and never more deservedly so than this. But is he often making comments like this that just seem like out of tune with just how, you know, a human would react? I mean, in in sports, it's like it's an inherently unserious thing. So like people make fun of him lightly. But whenever he tried, like he, he very famously during, I think it was the first Clinton-Trump debate, he, yeah. t- he, he tweeted, I feel bad for our country, but this is tremendous content. Oh, tremendous content. <laughs> tremendous content. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was sort of like, that was patient zero for like Darren Ravel political tweets, but um, this will, will rival that, I think. Um, he got dragged, as you say, Bill, uh-huh. and then he issued... A not quite apology, (laughs) a clarification that sounds somehow more robotic than his initial tweet, which is barely a sentence. Um, This is what he wrote. Given my scope, I defaulted to a sponsor impact point of view on this tweet. I in no way sought to diminish the sensitivity surrounding today's hearings. So given my scope. Sought to diminish the sensitivity surrounding today's hearings. I I think you're overlooking. if If I'm talking empathy. That's the way I phrase it. How about a sponsor impact point of view? <laughs> so, uh, Given my scope, I would like to end the show here. I think that's wise. Uh, yeah, thank you all, and thank you, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being with me, guys, to talk about it. Bill? See you again next week, guys. And Alex. Thanks. We'd also like to thank our guest, Michael McInerney, our producers, Kelly Mercano and Stephen Trader, and our contributing reporters this week, Jimmy Hoover and Abra Coe. If you want to dive into even more of our Kavanaugh coverage, check out our website at law360.com slash podcast. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you like it, we'd love for you to leave us a review. Thanks and join us again next week.